Well, good morning, church. Welcome to our neighbors. I'm glad to be together with you. If we haven't met yet, my name is Michael. And uh, it's, it's spooky season. Uh, Halloween is this week. I don't know if you knew that. And we're at a time where people are just kind of paying attention to um, things behind the curtain. Uh, we're, we're aware of, uh, or we, there's a time where our culture is just kind of more aware that there's a spiritual reality. Most of the time we can navigate life and pretend like that stuff doesn't real or isn't real or doesn't impact our stuff. And for many people, it's just kind of a story. Um, they, it's something external to them and they like to watch it or they're entertained by it, um, but not necessarily considering how, uh, how those things might impact uh, our daily life. And so we're taking a couple of weeks here to talk about angels and demons, some spiritual realities that impact our lives. Um, and yeah, that's, I mean, that's what we're doing. So <laughs> let's, let's start off and we'll pray. Um, I'll invite you to pray together with me the disciples' prayer. Um, this isn't a magic spell or anything. There's no hocus pocus. This is just the model of prayer that Jesus asked for us to pray uh, if we're going to be disciples of his. And so we say it together. The words are on the screen if you're not familiar um, and you would like to say it together with us. I'd encourage you to do that. But at the very least, let's bow our hearts and let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We have been looking together in the book of Hebrews, and so I'll invite you to turn, navigate with me there to Hebrews chapter 2, and it's on page 1244 in the Blue Bibles. 1244, Hebrews chapter 2. And we're not quite sure who the person who wrote, uh, who wrote the book of Hebrews is. It seems like he's got a relationship with the readers, the people that he's writing to. Um, excuse me, <clears throat> but what's fascinating about the book is that it's, it's actually very difficult to make an outline of the book. If you were to take one of the letters from Paul, for instance, it's actually relatively easy to see the structure and the flow of the argument and to put it into an outline. Um, that's cool. The book of Hebrews, like if you look up 10 outlines for the book of Hebrews, you'll have 10 different outlines. And so you're like, oh, well, then this book is incomprehensible. No, it's not that the book is incomprehensible. It's that the argument of the book of Hebrews flows more like a conversation. It reads more like a speech than it reads like a, like a, a letter or, or a discourse. And so... Um, it's the outlines are harder because the transitions between ideas are a little bit longer. Um, and so, it, it, okay, so if I'm starting a new transition to a new idea, do I mark the outline at the beginning of my transition or I'm going to take a little bit to explain this hinge? Uh, do I throw that at the thing that comes before it or the thing that comes after it? Most, most people are just going to disagree about where those things fall. So, we read together um, last week Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. Um, and I, what I did there was I threw the hinge in with what comes before. However, it's a hinge. 
And so we're going to start at chapter 2, verse 1, and go through stuff that we have already been through. Um, one, because it gives me an opportunity to talk about what we talked about last week without preaching the whole thing. Um, and two, because I just want you to be aware that chapters and verses are a relatively modern invention. Um, we, uh, we looked a while ago about how the different, um, the different, the different manuscripts of the Bible um, were, by, like it wasn't until a couple of hundred years ago that we started putting chapters and verses in. And, and, and I don't know if you've really thought about the fact that chapters and verses in a book is really unusual. This is the only book that I know of that has so many numbers on a page that's not a math book, Right? So we've got chapters and verses, and that's helpful for us so that we can quickly look at the page and see what sentence we're talking about, but it's a relatively uh, new uh, a relatively new invention. And if you were to read this text as the original audience, there would be no chapter or verse divisions. We would just read the whole thing. And so even though, oh, that was back in chapter one, well, if I, would, if I didn't have chapters then I would just consider that's the earlier part of the letter. So that's why we started with reading the whole thing in one setting, because that's probably how they would have experienced to begin with. Okay, that's a lot of extra information. Let's read. Let's read Hebrews chapter 2. And uh, I'll read verses 1 through 4 just as a way of reminder and get us, uh, get us warmed up a little bit. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So let's pause there. There's an underlying assumption that our current reality, that the world that we live in, our visible material world, is a stage that's passing away. And, and we talked about the Truman Show, how he didn't realize his whole life was a sham, and then he realized it, and now he gets to go explore the whole wide world. In the same way, when we're born, we're born into this reality, thinking that this is what is real, but what the Bible tells us is that what we're born into is a world, a stage that's passing away, but that it's built on something underneath it, which is eternal, and at one point, the, 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 uh, the stage is going to be rolled up and tossed out, but what's eternal is going to remain. So there's this underlying assumption that the spiritual realities that, that impact our lives are actually what is real. And what is material is what is mm, temporary or, or passing away, which is difficult. It's difficult to wrap our heads around. I'm like, this feels pretty real to me, right? Like uh, hunger... <laughs> is a material need, but it feels really real. And my hunger can impact my spiritual life. Like if I'm, if I'm super hangry, like I don't care what Jesus has to say about loving my enemy, I just want to eat, right? So we're these material beings, but because we're, we're born into this, we, we think that this is what's real. And what the gift that God gives us is he shows us and tells us something we could not understand by ourselves that what is eternal underneath it all is what actually is what's real. That may be encouraging, that may be discouraging, um, 
But we, we, we talked extensively about angels and demons, and just real quick as a recap, angels are created spiritual beings that are higher than humans, as we read in Psalm 8, and thus they're frightening. They're, they're a higher plane of existence. They don't have a body. That's kind of spooky. We're not really sure what to do with that. Um, but angels are servants of Yahweh. They go where he says to go. They do what he says to do. Um, that's, that's what they do. Demons are also created spiritual immaterial beings that are higher than humans so they are angels except that they don't serve Yahweh they've rebelled against Yahweh so they want to steal kill and destroy everything that Yahweh likes right so that's the difference between angels and demons they are not equals or opposites to God it's Satan is not God's opposite he is a created being that God allows to exist, although he's living in active rebellion against him and his purposes. And angels and demons are not deceased humans. Like, it's not that we become angels. We're created with a body, and God says, even though this body is passing away, he will give us a new body. So there's something about the essence of humanity that has to be uh, enfleshed, which is kind of a weird, weird word to think about. Uh, maybe embodied. Is where we, something about being human means we have to have a body. It was necessary for Jesus to have a body, and Jesus, when he's resurrected, has a body. He doesn't come back as a ghost. He comes back with a body, so he eats in front of people, and they make a really big deal about it, but it just goes over our heads. Okay, so that's angels and demons. But the point, the point of this passage is that the Son of God is superior to all these spiritual entities. That, that even as we look at angels and as we look at demons and, and we feel spooky or scared or frightened because we feel like they've got a power of life and death, Jesus, the Son of God, excuse me, the Son of God is superior to all spiritual entities and we must purposely build our lives as directed by God's Son. Purposefully. Because there are not many among us, there are some, but there are not all of us among us who would just choose to rebel against God. Like, I don't want anything to do with God. I'm going to do the opposite of what God wants me to do. Not only am I going to do the opposite of what God wants me to do, I'm going to fight against the people who are doing what God wants them to do. Like, that's a demonic idea, and we are not that way, but we just kind of drift. We, we, we lose sight of uh, we lose sight of what's eternal because we're focused on what's kind of right in front of us, right? We're easily distracted. <clears throat> um, and so we must purposefully build our lives as directed by God's Son, okay? So that's review. If you want to catch up again, that's on uh, our, our YouTube channel. But let's get into some, uh, some new material here in verse 5. And I'll read 5 through 9. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while, for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering and death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. 
So he says, everything is made subject to the Son of God. Everything in creation was made subject to the Son of God. So angels and demons both are subject to the Son of God. He was made a little lower than the angels in order that he might taste death and by his death overcome and be glorified again. It goes down and he goes back up to where he belongs, right? So that's, that's kind of the picture. But, but here's, here's, uh, here's something that's, that's fascinating to me. <clears throat> um, now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Like, that sounds like really big and powerful, but does that sound like your Thursday morning? There's nothing outside of this, this control of the Son of God. Like that's, that's the thoughts that are in my mind when I'm trying to get on my third cup of coffee, just trying to make it. No, and the author knows that that's true because the very next thing he says is, <clears throat> at present we do not see everything in subjection to him. This is a true reality. This is something that's eternal and upon which everything that we enjoy exists, but it doesn't look like it's true. You cannot see it if God does not open your eyes to it. At present, it looks like the world's on fire. Amen? But that doesn't mean that it is not subject to the control of the Son of God. And if you have been confused about who the Son of God is, he says in, in verse 9, but we see him who was for a little while made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. And I don't, I don't know if you felt the tension in me last week. I was really struggling with this because as the author goes through and he's talking about and explaining these principles, verse 9, chapter 2, verse 9 is the first time that we see the Son of God named. Check me. I, I, I went the whole sermon last week without saying Jesus. And it was hard because I'm the kind of guy who's just like, we put Jesus first. And this is the first time I didn't put Jesus first because I think there's something powerful that we can get through all of these ideas that the Son of God is the one who comes down and everything is put in subject under him. And by the way, his name is Jesus. It was fascinating because I did that and then Carlos got up and sang a song that was like, we need to say the name, say the name. And I'm like, I didn't say the name, but like that tension is in us where we're just like, okay, who is the Son of God? It's Jesus, Yeshua. Yesu, Jesus, Jesus, like whatever, however you say it in your name, that's who the Son of God is. However you say it in your language, that's how we, <laughs> that's who the, uh, the Son of God is. And he's glorified, not despite death, but because of it. Not despite death, he's not glorified even though he died. It's not as though, it's not as though, he, as, as though death, were this, um, death were this challenge that he was able, able to overcome. And, and in, in spite of that challenge that he had before him, he, he is now glorified. No. It's because he died. We, we serve a Savior who embraced death 
so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Here's very few times where I'm, I'm, I'm really, really frustrated with the English translation, and this is one of the times. If you don't know, um, the Bible was originally written in Hebrew and Greek. This letter was written in Greek, and, and the word for taste death is not taste. It is eat but that sounds weird. Like, doesn't it sound weird to say so that by the grace of God he might eat death for everyone? It's, it's not that he, he was a, a small child and, you, and you're like, no, 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 you gotta, take, you gotta take at least one bite before you get up from this table. It was he sat down at the table of death and ate it all and licked the plate and said, it is finished. Not for me. By the grace of God for you. This was not plan B. This was not an obstacle in the way. This was what he came to do, to eat death. Uh, Psalm 75 uh, talks about this, not necessarily in, in the sense of eating, but it, pict- it, doesn't picture, it pictures the wrath of God as, a, as, a, as an old school beer with like, um, with chunks in the bottom of it still. You still got hops in the bottom of it. They call that the dregs. And so kind of like a, a coffee pot that doesn't work quite right. You got all those grounds in the bottom. Like for them, brewing beer would be the same kind of thing. You get to the bottom of it and there'd just be stuff down there. And so they didn't do the filtering thing, but, but they just wouldn't drink those last sips. But the Psalm 75 pictures, pictures uh, that, the wrath of God as, as that big, tall, cool glass of wrath of God with all those dregs at the bottom. It says, for the hand of the Lord, there was a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. What was intended for the wicked, Jesus picked up and bottoms up. Dregs and all. It's finished because of death. But it doesn't seem like that, does it? Death still feels like something that we have to wrestle with, right? Like, and, and the impacts of death, of, of, of grief and mourning, like those still feel real. The things that I see are still breaking my heart. It says he's done it, but, but we're here, and it doesn't, I, I can't see it. If I could see it, then I, would, then I would 100% be on board, but like, my experience is not that. I, I came across this quote, uh, it was by C.S. Lewis, who was an author uh, um, in, the, in the 1950s, and um, his later writing was really colored by the loss of his wife. She had cancer and died, and it was a whole thing. And he ends up writing a letter to another, uh, he ends up writing a letter to a priest whose wife has also contracted cancer. And, and he says this in this letter, we are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. We are, not, we, are not, uh, we are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. What are we most afraid of? 
few and far between are the times that we let ourselves think much about our own mortality. That's why people don't like going to funerals. I am in the privileged position of being invited to many funerals. I get to think about this all the time, which is great because I'm a young guy. I need to be reminded I'm not invincible. But what, what, are we, what are we most afraid of? Maybe it's not death. Maybe it's some other variety of loss. Maybe, maybe there's something else in this material world that we look to. And if I lost that, if I lost them, then I would fall apart. I, I couldn't handle that. And I think it's appropriate in the face of the Son of God to say, this is actually what I'm afraid of. But our big idea for the morning is that Jesus disarms our fear of death so that we can live with him. Let's continue reading in verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given to me. Jesus is the master over all creation, and suffering was an integral part of the plan. What's, what's frustrating for me, but, but beautiful to see, is that as the author is writing this, he doesn't, he doesn't, make, doesn't go to extensive... Ugh. He talks better than me. <clears throat> but he doesn't go to extensive pains to distinguish between the Father and the Son. If, if you notice, he's, he's using pronouns interchangeably, and I have difficulty telling. Are we talking about God the Father? Are we talking about God the Son? And he's, 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 that's not something he's concerned to explain. But, he's, but he says, um, it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. It was fitting that he, God, God the Father, who, who made everything, in, in the process of bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, should make Jesus perfect through suffering. There was, there was something about the role that God had for Christ that he could not do if he, was not, if he had not suffered. Suffering was part of what God was asking him to do. For he who sanctifies and and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. And he, he quotes some, some passages. <laughs> Chapter 1, the first part, he's, he's making this huge delineation, this big distinction between angels and the sun. These are completely different things. And we're, we're mentioned kind of as a subnote in that we are not even as good as angels. Like angels are good, we like angels, but we're not as good as them, but the son is greater, right? And in this chapter, he's saying, he who was greater than the angels became lower than the angels in order to not just return to glory, but to adopt sons on the way, to, to make us siblings. And he was not ashamed to have us as siblings. I pointed out... Um, on Friday to a group of elementary school, actually it was all, all high school, middle school, elementary school, they're all mixed in. I said, have you ever noticed you didn't get to pick your family? 
Like you, you didn't get to vote on who your mom and dad was, and you certainly didn't get a say in who your siblings were, and we just kind of have to deal with it, right? And, and some days, like, that's cool. Some days they can hold it together, and we're not so embarrassed of them, but most days that's not true. So I asked her permission to reveal this, but did you know that I have a sister? <laughs> and you know this? You know her? <clears throat> My sister, Rachel, is, uh, she sits over here. She's right there in the purple. She's a superhero. She takes care of people. And, and I don't often tell people, like, when we first were here, I told her, please go to a different church. And she hasn't listened to me. She never does, which is fine. But, but I, like, we went to this weird, we had this weird interactions where we would be talking to people in church, and it was like, do I tell them I'm his sister, or do I keep it to myself? I'm not really sure. And so I don't know how much of that was due to, like, embarrassment. I'm like, oh, I'm the pastor's sister. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, like, I, I'm not sure. But, like, there was a time where, like, she was proud to be my sister, right? <laughs> and she gave me permission to use the photo, so I'm, I'm hopeful that she's not embarrassed uh, to, to be my sister. What, what, what we see here is that he who was higher than the angels became lower with them to eat death so that we could be called his siblings. He brings us to the table of glory and is not embarrassed about where we came from. Jesus is not embarrassed of you. Oh, he knows. Oh, he knows. He knows all the reasons why he ought to be. He is, he is very clear about all the ways that you have been embarrassed of him. He's, been, he's very clear on the ways that you have failed him and done things opposed to him and the ways that you have misrepresented his family and the ways that you have even cursed his father. He knows all of that, but Jesus is not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He comes down and eats the full plate that was allotted for us and then takes us with him back to where he wants to be. Says, these are my, these are my siblings. I want them here. But are we trusting Jesus to bring us into God's family? Are, are we still just kind of like, I don't know, like they kind of see me as the, the black sheep of the family. I'm barely in at all. Or are we trusting Jesus to bring us in to God's family? How, how do we do that? How do we overcome that? Because there, there, there's part of us that knows we don't belong. I don't think I have to convince you of that. But how, how, can we, how can we move in that direction? Well, Jesus undermines our fear of death so that we can live with him. Let's continue reading in verse 14. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death... He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. 
Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For because he himself was, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus undermines our fear of death so that we can live with him. He's defeated the one who's held us captive by fear. He, he, takes, he takes the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy and uh, like eats the full wrath that we know we deserve and he shines his light <laughs> so that we can live confidently. No, I'm not sure which of those is actually scarier, to be honest. <laughs> but the enemy, the enemy is soundly defeated. And, that's, and he does not want you to know that. When I say to you that, that Jesus, Jesus has overcome, <laughs> overcome the grave and that all things are subject to him, we immediately go, yeah, but it doesn't, I can't, it doesn't look like that. That's not what it looks like. Let me give you some examples about the ways that it doesn't look like Jesus is in charge around here. Like, and that's where the enemy wants us to be. The enemy wants us to think that he has a leg up on Jesus. The enemy wants us to think that he's got a leg up on what's going on uh, over God's plan. He wants us to think that we should be in a position to fear him. However, Jesus undermines our fear. Like he, he's dug under the wall and he's defeated the one who has the power of death. And so we're over here on our side of the wall going, I'm afraid to die. And Jesus is like, I took care of that guy. He's got no power over you. He's, I have, I've defeated him. I have undermined the one who was, and I, this, is, uh, this is astonishing, it blows my mind, um, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We are not even aware of the chains that we're wearing. That the fear of death is a lifelong slavery, that we, we work to earn our way to have life after death. And Jesus comes in and says, I got life. Will you take it? Death isn't a thing. It looks like a thing, but it ain't a thing because I've conquered it. Jesus didn't accomplish this merely as an illustration. He, he, didn't, he didn't go through and conquer this merely as an illustration to say, oh, you go and do likewise. You need to be overcomers. You need to go slay your own giants. You need to overcome your fear, all that kind of stuff. He didn't do this merely as an illustration. It was a demonstration that he invites us into, and then he helps us with. For surely it's not angels that he helps. but he helps the offspring of Abraham. He, he helps those who have been brought into the covenant promises of God, who've trusted the son to come in to the family. He says, look, I, I've conquered death. You, you, you want to do the same? Like, you, you can do it through me. I've, I've, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Let me help you. Jesus undermines our fear of death so that we can live with him. The, the first draft of this was Jesus disarms our fear of death so that we can live for him. 
and, I, and, I, and as I was looking, I was, I was like, I don't know, for him, live for him. Yes, that's a true thing, but is that what the text is saying? It's, it's, not, it's not that we live for him. It's not that now we have the energy and the capacity that we can do the right things all the time and we can be on fire for Jesus. No, he disarms our fear of death so that we can live with him. It's not that he says, look, I went and conquered, so now you got to go conquer. Good luck, bud. He says, look, I conquered, and now you come with me. We're going to go do it together. It's, it's, it's not that he wants to just send us on our way. You get a little bit of Jesus uh, medicine so that you can overcome the sickness and death. He says, no, 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 like I am healing you. I'm going with you. I'm an on-call doctor. You got sin, I'm healing it. Jesus disarms our fear of death so that we can live with him, not just for him. And we will. We will do things for him. But, but his heart is not that we would work for him. He's got angels for that, and they're better than you at it. He disarms death so that we can live with him. Elsewhere, it'll say something to the effect of that we might abide with him. He doesn't help the angels. They're servants. They're sent. They do their job. But he helps us because we're his siblings. And he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed of our weakness. He's not ashamed of where we've come from. He knows that he has the power to overcome all of the things that would trip us up. So are we living? <laughs> are we living as though we're servants? I got to work for Jesus. Or are we living as though we're siblings? I'm living with Jesus. And how do we know? <laughs> like, what's the evidence? The, 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 one of the most recent breaking points in my spiritual growth was, was, was this exact question. Uh, I, was, I was praying, and I'm like, God, I just, you know, I feel like I'm far away from you, and I feel like things aren't going right, and I don't know what to do. And, and uh, as close to, you know, you know, the impression came to me, you do a whole lot of things for me, but you don't do a whole lot of things with me. You're, you're working for me a lot, but you're not doing much of anything with me. And I thought, well, that's a problem. <laughs> And he didn't say that in a way that was condescending of like, you better get your act together, Mike. He said it as a, I want to work with you, but you keep blocking me out. You're so busy working for me that you won't let me be with you in what we're doing. So are we living as servants? Are we living as siblings? And as we wrestle with that, as we wrestle with that, let me remind you <clears throat> that the, the, um, the key to, over, to uh, overcoming our drift, our, 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 our propensity to kind of drift and wander away, is to fix our eyes on him who we can see, to look at Jesus and, and, and see him as he is and to live as he invites us to live and to walk with him. Because many, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, we can now say, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God in the majesty on high. Jesus undermines our fear of death so that we can live with him. Let's pray together. Lord, I struggle a lot to even know what my own motivations are. Um, I'd like to think I'm a rational being and that I think through everything I do. Um, but Lord, you know that's not true. Sometimes I just act. Sometimes I just do. Most of the time, I'm on autopilot. And so, Lord, in those instances where I'm acting out of fear, in those instances where I'm trying to earn, um, earn life, in those instances where I'm, I'm taking on death in and of my own strength, God, I do ask you to just sit me down. Lord, for us as a church, I pray that we'd not get busy just doing work for you. But Lord, by your grace, you would use us to do the work you want to do, that you would work together with us on the, on the things that you want to see happen in this city, in these neighborhoods. So guide our thoughts, guide our plans. Lord, empower our steps to walk in line with you. Help us to keep up when you're moving faster. Lord, help us to slow down when you've taken a break. Help us to walk in step with you. Would you grant us faith <laughs> to accept truth as you present it to us, even when we can't see it? And Lord, if there's anything that I've said in our time here together that's just been my own opinion, God, I just ask that those things would be quickly forgotten, but that where, you, where your word has been accurately represented, that that would stick true in our hearts. Lord, for those of us who are ashamed of ourselves, would you give us your confidence that you're not ashamed of us? For those of us who haven't yet signed over our lives to be part of your family, Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts to that invitation. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.